Welcome to this week's Manor House message. We are grateful you are listening with us today. It is our prayer that you will receive a fresh word from God and find encouragement for every season of your journey. Let's listen to this message from Pastor Dylan. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, why don't you grab your seats and uh, we're going to go back into worship in just a moment. Um, But uh, I'm excited to share with you this morning and uh, we've been on a series called Breakthrough. And uh, this whole notion of breakthrough, somebody said it in staff devotions, which I think was so profound. It's not just... It's not just breakthrough, but what we're breaking into. How many of you know that I just want to, I don't want to just break, break through something. I need to break into something. And this is our definition of breakthrough. And this is what it says. It says, a sudden, dramatic and important advance, overcoming an obstacle or a restriction. And, and so as, as a church, we're, we're believing that this season in January, we go into a time of prayer and fasting, specifically not just so that we could have breakthrough, but so that we could break into. It's not just enough to, to break through and then, then what's next, no, break into what God has for us. And so if you're on this journey or you're kind of new to this prayer and fasting, there's a lot of resources on our app. Uh, on our website at Manor House. And, and, and these spiritual disciplines that we exercise, we, we don't do this to make ourselves right with God. Like I, like I don't fast and I don't pray to make myself right with God. Jesus did that for me. The, the reason why we exercise spiritual disciplines is simply to make room for God. God, I wanna make more room for you in my life. When I'm praying, I'm creating space for you to encounter me. When I'm fasting, I'm not eating to create space for you to speak to me. I'm giving up maybe social media so that I'm not distracted. I'm, I'm creating space. These disciplines don't make us right with God, but they make room for God. It's so important. I know I've experienced personal breakthrough in my life because of this. And maybe you've walked in here this morning and you need breakthrough. Maybe there's something that is going on in your world. Maybe... Maybe there's an addiction, a sin habit that you can't seem to break out of of your own. Would you believe with me that this morning, maybe God just wants to break that here this morning. Maybe you walked in and there's a relationship challenge. There's there's some tension. You need breakthrough relationally. This morning, let's believe that God wants to break through and break into healing and wholeness. Maybe there's a financial pressure. Maybe, maybe everything is going right. You ever had these moments where everything seems to be going right and yet it feels like your world is falling apart? Anybody else like this existential, I should be really happy, but I don't know why I'm not. Maybe that's what you walked in this morning. This morning, I'm believing that God wants to break through into your area, whatever circumstance you're walking in with. This is our scripture for our series, Malachi 2 verse 13. And this is what the Lord says, the one who can break through barriers will lead them out. They'll break out, pass through the gate and leave. The king will advance before them and the Lord will himself will lead them. That, that, that God is the one that brings breakthrough to our life. And so uh, my, my wife and I, Kirsten and I, we lead the youth ministry here. My name's Dylan. And so uh, this morning I'm gonna preach and that just means you're gonna just get me like all fired up and uh, energetic and excited. I'm gonna talk slower um, so that it's understandable. And uh, praying that, that God, will, God, will, God will speak to all of us this morning. And so we've been on a series called Breakthrough, believing that this season, that, that some things that God, I'm going to go into believing for breakthrough in. And uh, th- this morning, I want to deal, deal with a specific topic of this area of breakthrough. Like o- oftentimes we think ethereal, or we think that, that like these circumstances, there's some things I need breakthrough in. But, but this morning, I want to go through, uh, deal with this specific area of breakthrough amongst us. That there's some things that God did when he created community, not just wanting relationship with him, but relationship with each other. And I don't know if you've noticed in my life, the thing that I've found creates the most tension or the biggest pain point, uh, the, 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 the frustration that affects me 
probably most is this idea of relationship tension. Have you noticed that when, when you're not right with somebody, like your whole world is not right? Anybody else? Just me? Just me bearing my emotions? Like, 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 like this morning, I wanna speak to us on this topic of breakthrough amongst us. There's this crazy passage that Jesus says, and He says that they will know me. People will know God by your love for one another. As a, as a community, how we love each other is one of the greatest ways people encounter God, which means the opposite is true, that if there's tension, frustration, offence between us, that's the greatest detraction for people to see God. What's so different about you? Like, like, hey, thanks for telling me about God, but you guys can't figure it out amongst yourselves. What's different from you than what I see on Facebook on my feed? Or what's different from my workplace environment with the backbiting. And so today I wanna to talk about this specific topic of breakthrough amongst us, going after relationship and offense. And I'm not here to point the finger at anybody, but I think this is an area that, that a lot of people, myself included, that we have to wrestle with and deal with. And so I wanna go to a passage, a famous passage, and then we're just gonna dive into it. And so if you could throw it up on the screen, Matthew chapter 18, I'll read it, you can follow it along. And uh, this is what Peter is asking Jesus this question. It says, then Peter came to him and asked him, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times, it's pretty generous. You know, seven times, kind of a big man to be able to extend that to somebody. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, and then Jesus gives us a whole story on offense in the form of a parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his counts up to date with servants, who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors who was brought in owed him millions of dollars. Your Bible may say 10,000 talents. We'll look into that in a little bit. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything that he owned to pay that debt. The man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it. I think we have that kind of approach to God sometimes. Then his master was filled with pity and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars within, within the realm of payback, a few thousand dollars within the, with the realm of ability to restore that, what was lost. And he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for, a, for just a little bit more time. Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. The king called the man he had forgiven and he said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Amen. And the angry king sent the man to, be, to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. And Jesus then summarizes this whole story and he says, that's what my heavenly father will do if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. This morning, I wanna to talk to us on this notion of unforgiveness and offense. And in this passage in Matthew chapter 18, we see God illustrate a couple of things. He illustrates what offense is, what is offense. He tells us what offense does to us and he shows us how to deal with offense. And so when you read this passage, you recognize that, that God is, Jesus is going specifically after this notion of unforgiveness and offense. And I don't know about you, but culture today, offense has almost become a virtue. It's almost virtuous to be offended. Have you, have you noticed this? It's like, oh, that's so offensive. 
you know, like, uh, that offends me. And, and, and like, our day and age, like, offense has, is almost virtuous because, because what, why? Like, why, why is that the perspective that people have? Because, because it puts a person in this place of nobler than thou, like moral authority or moral, moral superiority, because that offends me. I'm now showing how, how superior I am to you or, 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 or how, how, how much more moral I am when it comes to this notion. And yet mor- like, like offense, however, is not virtuous. Offense, offense doesn't help somebody. It actually damages somebody. In fact, offense is what damages relationship more than anything else. And when you read this story, you recognize that Jesus is talking to you and me because one of the things we notice when it comes to offense is offense is really common. Like offense is something that, I'm I'm sorry to break it to you, it's going to happen to you. If it hasn't happened to you yet because you've lived in Antarctica and this is your first time to civilization, offense, Jesus said not if, but he says when offense comes. Like notice like how Peter phrases the question. He says, Jesus, how, sh- how many times should I forgive someone? I can just see it right now. It's like, it's like he's looking at Matthew, you know, like I know how many times you stole my food from the work fridge, you know. Um, I- I- I've seen you take my iPhone charger and, and he's-, he's like Jesus, but he's looking at Matthew. He's like, hey, Jesus, how many times should I, f- how many times should I forgive someone? I can just see it happening. <laughs> Seven times, Matthew. Seventh time, taking my sandwich. And, and Jesus, gives this, Jesus gives this response. And we, we, we're familiar with it. He says, not seven times. Uh, he says, seven times, 70. And, and, and obviously, most of us could do math. Jesus is not saying, hey, 490 times is the magic number. Like, that's not what Jesus is saying. Like, you keep track. And at 400, 300, you're still good, buddy, you know. Like you cut me off, that's the 390th time this week. You're good. Jesus told me I have to forgive. Like 490, okay, you're getting there. 491, gotcha. <laughs> Relationship severed. <laughs> Payback is mine, saith Dylan. Like we, we all laugh at that. But, but, and, we, and we recognize Jesus is using a number that's supposed to illustrate regardless how many times we're supposed to forgive. But, but how, many of our, how many times do we mentally put a number or, or, or keep track of people's account? How often do we have this notion when somebody frustrates me or offends me? How often do we say something like this? I'm not gonna allow that to happen again. You know, this time, it's time for me to speak my mind. This time... This time, I'm going to give them what they've been giving me. We, we all laugh, but how often are we guilty of doing the very same thing that we think we know we shouldn't do? And Jesus said, no, no, it's not seven times seven. It's not four. It's, it's, not a, it, it's this notion of we're supposed to forgive endlessly. Like we're supposed to give out forgiveness regardless. Why? Because Jesus understood this principle. Forgiveness isn't for their interest. Forgiveness is for your interest. Forgiveness isn't necessarily just to help that person. Forgiveness is actually supposed to help you. And I love this story because Jesus is so brilliant in illustrating what offense is. Like, like, did you see Jesus takes this notion of unforgiveness and offense and he correlates it with debt. And Jesus does this with other things. Like, like when it comes to like hatred, like, like in that day and age, there was this, concept like, hey, obviously murder, killing somebody is bad. You know, it's bad for society. We probably shouldn't do that. But Jesus says this, if you hate somebody in your heart, 
you've committed murder, the same marking on your heart, your spirit, that same attitude to physically kill somebody starts with with hatred towards somebody. Jesus is saying, I'm not just after the external rightness, I'm after your heart attitude. When it comes to When it comes to lust, yes, committing adultery, that's a line I would never cross. But looking in lust, that's okay. And Jesus says, if you look at somebody with lust, it's the same crime internally. It's the same heart infraction. It's the same thing that damages you internally as it does externally. And so so if you lust, it's the same thing as committing adultery. Like Jesus is going after the heart heart of the issue. And then when it comes to this notion of offense and forgiveness, Jesus correlates this idea to debt. Notice the words that were said. It says accounts, borrowed money, debtors, debts. This, this is this whole story that Jesus is trying to illustrate that unforgiveness and offense is, is the same as when you enter into a monetary transaction where somebody is now in debt. Have you noticed that debt changes the nature of a relationship? Have you noticed that debt, let me say it like this, have you ever owed money to somebody? I don't know about you, and if you're a debt collector, thank you for all you do, but I've noticed most people aren't running to debt collectors. In fact, they're usually running away. Like like something happens to a relationship because of debt. I remember uh, a a couple of months ago, my wife and I, we put uh, my son Avery uh, into the school here at City Christian. It's a great school. The teachers are amazing, and he's thriving, and I'm grateful for it. And uh, I remember I was working in my office, and I got an email from the school saying, hey, Dylan, um, butto, bucko, you know, you haven't made your school payment. And like, I freaked out. Like, 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 I, like, I've got the finances. I know that. But like, it was, I completely forgot about paying that, that school tuition bill. And, uh, and so like, I'm like, all of a sudden I'm feeling guilty. I'm like, oh my gosh. They're like, wow, here I am on staff. And everybody at the school probably thinks like, wow, what a, what a irresponsible person. I remember like going through church, like walking, like, man, I hope I don't see anybody from the school. Like I'm walking and like one of the teachers and like, like I've got this, all this attitude already built up, like this angst already that's like I'm walking, man, like I see somebody, I'm like, I'll get you your money. I've got it, it's fine. My wife is so good, she cleans up a lot of my messes. Emotionally, metaphorically, let's say that. Um, She went to the school, she took care of it. But but I remember what it did internally because something happens when you you, you become in debt to somebody, it changes the nature of the relationship. What happens to a relationship is when, when there's debt involved, all of a sudden you take two people that are in a peer relationship and you put master servant. The, the relationship changes to overlord, underlord. Somebody is over and somebody's under. You have master servant. Why? Because when there's debt involved, the master has the right to exact payment from the debtor. But because of debt, because something is owed, because a transaction has happened, the, 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 the overlord, the superior, the master has the right to exact something from, from the inferior until what is paid has been completed. And that puts us back on even playing field. And so Jesus says, when He says offence is like debt, what is happening when you carry offence? This is the position we put ourselves in. We put ourselves in the position of master, servant. We put ourselves in the position of overlord, underlord. Because you offended me, I have the right to exact payment from you. Because you did damage to me, because you hurt me, 
I have the right to exact hurt from you. Because you hurt me, I have the right to reciprocate. Because something was said to me, I have the right for revenge. It often looks something like maybe like silent treatment. Like ignorance is the greatest form of disrespect. I'm going to I'm going to ignore your phone calls because I have the right to, to mistreat you, exact payment. I have the right to, to, to say what I want to you because I'm the master. You offended me. I have the right to exact payment. Let me, let me, I have the right to treat you in a way I wouldn't want to be treated, but because of my offense, I now have the right to exact this payment from you. Is anybody here in the room can relate? That, that, that offense, the Bible says, is like debt. And, and this story, the, the man that put his servant in prison and for a few thousand dollars, it, it was in this person's realm of ability to pay back a few thousand dollars. But you, do you see this person, th- th- this person that had been forgiven, but now he's exacting payment from his servant, his, his, his inferior. It was in this inferior person's ability to pay back a few thousand dollars. It's, it's conceptually possible to pay that back. But this person wasn't wanting evenness. He wasn't wanting payback for evenness. He was wanting retribution. He, he wasn't wanting just what was lost, restored, he, he wanted full, he, he exacted retribution, reciprocity to this person and he put him in prison until his payment was due. And that is what we do to people that are around us that offend us. It's not enough to be even. In fact, can I say it like this? We are probably the worst judgment judges of what even looks like because what even looks like to us is probably excessiveness. But because of my offence, I have the right to exact it from you. And this is what offense does to every single person here in this room. You evil servant, I forgave you this tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid off his entire debt. That unforgiveness and bitterness and offense that we hold onto actually puts us in prison. That, that it puts us in prison, and what does that mean? If you're in prison, you are controlled. You, you, your, your actions are limited. They're, they're dictated to how does offense put you in prison is because the person that you have offense with, everything that they do still controls your life. Everything that they do, it still controls. They experience success. What do you feel? Bitterness. They don't deserve that. They experienced the promotion, but, but, they don't, but, but all the things that they didn't do properly, they didn't do right because of my offence. They experienced success. What do I feel? I feel anger. I feel angst. Like, that they, don't, they don't deserve that kind of, that they don't deserve that kind of promotion. When, when, when something happens to them that's negative, we feel, man, yeah, they're getting what they deserve. And guess what? When it comes to offence, it puts us in prison because our whole focus becomes on wishing pain on this person, only realising that in the process, we're wishing our life away. My whole life has been consumed of what happens to this person. I'm not realising that it's controlling my life and I'm the one that's in prison. I don't know if I'm speaking to anybody here in this room, but I'm fairly confident that every single person here has at least experienced something like this. And Jesus tells this story not to point out 
not just to point out what offense does to us, but, but, he, but he tells this story because he wants to show us how to deal with offense. Maybe you're here and you've walked in and something's been done to you. Damage has been done to you. Something's been said. Something, something happened to you when you were younger. Something that I can't even imagine that you've had to walk through. And, you're, and there's some things that are going on in your life. And I'm not here to mitigate or minimize what's happened to you. But we have to understand that when offense comes, and it has come in great form or little form, whatever it is, that, that, that Jesus doesn't want you to stay in prison. That there was a reason why Jesus came. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And this morning, if you need breakthrough in this area. Jesus tells us, how do we achieve breakthrough in this area in my life? And this isn't because of moral, like, like we don't have enough willpower. It's not because, hey, what's been done to me is too devastating. Although there's some devastating things that can happen to people. I believe that God can bring freedom to every person in this room if you would simply allow them. And this is what Jesus says when it comes to offence as the bands come to the platform. The first thing is you have to look at your account history. How do I first deal with offenses? I, ha- I first have to look at my account history. In the process, one of his debtors was brought to him who owed him millions of dollars. That, that, your Bible says 10,000 talents, and I just kind of did some math calculations. In that day and age, an average worker w- would make X amount of denarii, and, and, and if you calculate how long an average worker in that day and age would make one talent, that's, that's, that's a lot of gold. It, it would take an average worker about 20 years to, 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 to earn one talent. So when Jesus goes to this person and He says, this man owed 10,000 talents, one talent is 20 years. Like if you took like that, like the minimum wage, $8 an hour, and, and you multiplied like what that would do in the average work week is, you know, you do six days a week and 10 hours a day. That, like, that, like the sum total is not just millions. The sum total is about seven-ish billion dollars. And Jesus is telling the story in this day and age. It's, it's like he's being facetious. There's a man who owes a king in our vernacular, seven billion dollars. First of all, how does somebody get that far into debt? Probably because they're doing something they didn't even realize they were doing. Probably because they were making withdrawals they didn't know the damage that was being done. It's probably a good start to it. And he comes to this man, and, and this man owned, it says, seven billion, a, a huge, and it doesn't matter, an entire lifetime couldn't pay this amount back. But it says, because of the king wishing to settle the account, wishing to wipe the slate clean, it says he came to this man, he came to you and I, and he says, I'm gonna forgive you this debt. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wipe a price that you will never be able to pay. We recognize in this story, this is what Jesus has done for us, but, but I think there's an attitude problem with this man that I think a lot of us have this approach to God. This was this man's, this was this man's plan. You owe billions of dollars. You, you owe a lot of money. And this was his, his attitude. He says, just give me time. I'll pay, you, pay that back. That, that's impossible. It's impossible for him to pay it back. Yet he thought it was within the realm of possibility to pay back this enormous debt. And in this man, there's an attitude of how we can approach God, that we can approach God with this religious attitude of God, thank you for what you've done. Let me pay you back. Let me earn your forgiveness. Let me show you how good I could be. Let me prove to you how good I am. Let me, let me, let me prove how, I, how obedient. Let me, let me pay you back 
for what I've done. And the offense, the relationship with the king manifested itself in the relationship with his peer. Could I say it like this? How you treat offense with people is probably an indication of your relationship and your viewpoint of how, how God views you. How you treat your peer is probably one of the best indications of your idea or your understanding or your revelation of what God has done for you. Somebody offends me, I'll let you earn your way back into my life. I'll let you make that up for me is probably a great indication of how you view God. God, let me make it up to you. God, let me, let me try and be good enough for you. When it comes to this, this man, he had the wrong perspective of how debt was taken care of. God didn't come and say, let you earn you back. I'll give you the opportunity to earn back $7 billion. No, I'm gonna wipe the slate clean. I'm gonna forgive you. And when you check your account history, how can I even begin to start the process of forgiveness? Is it, it first of all starts with understanding of what God's done for me. Second thing, to recognize that, that God can... God can use my offence for His purpose. He can use what's been done to me because of sin and humanity and fallen relationship. As damaging as it is, God, You can bring a purpose out of this. I love the story of Corrie ten Boom. Most of us are familiar with it. Her sister and herself were sent to a concentration camp and in concentration camp, her sister was murdered and and, and, and she survived and was released and she saw her captor, one of her captors on the street and went up to him and chose, made a decision to forgive this purpose and, a person. And because of it, Corrie ten Boom, because of the act of forgiveness has influenced and helped millions of people. And this is what she said about forgiveness. Forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Forgiveness is not dictated by how I feel. Forgiveness is dictated by the choices that I make. And lastly, how do we deal with offense is that we have the ability to release offense. I love this thought, when it comes to debt, the person that holds the debt has the ability to release the debt. And when it comes to unforgiveness or offense in our life, there's certain things that I've found that deal with offense. The Bible talks about it like this. If you're offended with somebody, it says you should probably go talk to that person. We don't like doing that because we wanna just gloss over or it doesn't affect me that much, but, but it does affect you that much. That person is still dictating your actions. It's still dictating what you do. You're still living in a prison because of what's, I'm just, it's fine, I've glossed over it, but you keep ignoring them or you keep avoiding them or, or you keep changing everything about yourself to please or, or prove to this person, you're still in prison. The Bible says, go talk to this person. I had somebody come up to me and um, this was years ago and they said, Dylan, I, I gotta talk to you about something. Um, you, you offended me or frustrated me. I'm like, me? Uh, you probably got the wrong Dylan. I'm the nicest guy, you know? Nicest guy, you know? Like, I, I don't know what I possibly could have done to offend you. <laughs> uh, but it's probably not me, it's probably you. Didn't say those things, but I thought those things. Um, and they said, you know, Dylan, like, you don't spell my name right. We all we laugh because it's like, oh, trivial. Like, but but uh, your thought was my thought. Do, do you, I'm struggling to spell my kids' names right, okay? You know what I mean? Like, like do you know how many people that I need to get their names right? Like, like do you not know my world? But I, I listened to this person and I, and I actually began to understood something. That the reason why they were talking to me wasn't to be trivial, but because they valued relationship enough that they wanted to bring this to my attention that 
And in my inability to spell their name correctly, it was communicating that I didn't care about them, that I didn't care enough to spell their name right. Why would I care enough to pray with them? Or why would I care enough to be interested in their world? And what happened as they began to talk to me, I didn't even realize that I was offending them. But what it, what it caused me to do was, was for them to realize that I did value the relationship. I was able to apologize. And that forgiveness, that, that offense that they brought to me, as trivial as we might think it was, was allowed that person to walk in freedom that every time I walked in a room, they're not thinking, oh, he doesn't care about people. He can't spell a name right. Oh, you're asking me how I'm doing? Oh, well, you don't really care how I'm doing because like, like, like you don't even know how to spell my name properly. And what they did by bringing it to my attention was it allowed restoration of relationship. How often do we carry things against somebody they don't even know we carry against them? Sometimes it helps just to say, hey, can, can you help me understand? Or can I bring something to your attention you probably didn't mean? Or, hey, you did this to me. I'm, I'm bringing it to you because I, I don't want this tension anymore. Maybe, maybe a way to process offense is go to talk to a pastor or a group leader. I found in my life, just talking with somebody about why am I frustrated or feeling like this, it helps me because it helps me understand intent versus impact. I love what Pastor Walter says all the time. As I'm processing that, I'm talking, this was the impact this person had on me. But as I'm processing, maybe that wasn't, I, I can see how their intent wasn't that. They didn't mean, that, that wasn't like their intention. And just in processing, I'm realizing, you know, the proverb says, it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. As I'm processing, you know what? I, I can separate their impact and intent. Sometimes when it comes to dealing with offense, we have to go to God because some offenses are deep and they were intentional and damage has been done. And God, I need you to help me in this area. I need you to help bring forgiveness in my life. And I just had this thought, even in worship, I'm gonna try and, I'm gonna try and, explain it to the best of my ability because when it comes to offense, when, it, when I think about maybe some people in this room, when it comes to unforgiveness, the reason why it's there is because damage has been done. It's not just intent, but it was intentional, that it was purposeful, that damage was done in a marriage or in a relationship or, or abuse or like offense and unforgiveness is real. Why? Because damage was done to me. Something was taken from me. And our ability to fix the situation manifests itself in unforgiveness because if damage was done to me, how I make myself whole is I do damage in return. But two deficits don't make something whole. An eye for an eye, the whole world would be blind. And when it comes to this area with real people in this room dealing with unforgiveness, not wanting to, but not knowing how to deal with this, I truly believe we need breakthrough because it's not just a mental or moral ascent. It's not just having the willpower to overcome something, but I need an encounter with Jesus because damage was done. But when I look at what Jesus did on the cross and He was broken and He was damaged, even though He didn't deserve it and a price was exacted from Him, I recognise that in Jesus' brokenness, I can become whole. I don't need that to fix me. I need Him to make me whole. We're talking about breakthrough. It starts by saying, Jesus, you need to restore what was lost. Isaiah, God, you bind up the brokenhearted. 
In Christ, I'm a new creation. I'm not a band-aid creation. I'm not just put back together in pieces. God, but in Christ, I'm a new creation. The old has gone. What was done to me, what was detracted from me, what was damaged to me does no longer have to define me because my wholeness is not dictated by what happens to this person. My wholeness is dictated by what happened to me on the cross. And I am whole because of what you've done for me. This morning, thinking through who might be in this room, not knowing what you've gone through, I'm believing that God wants to bring some breakthrough with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning, first and foremost, you recognize this isn't just a message, this is my life. I walked in here to control trying to fix my life the best that I can but it's presenting and manifesting itself by damaging others I, I've been taken from I've been stopped I've been detracted from I, I, I need I need, a, I need something to change this passage illustrates primarily first and foremost that wholeness and forgiveness doesn't start with willpower. It starts by recognizing what God has done for you, that He comes to the account and He wipes the slate clean. He's the one that paid the price. He's the one that was on the cross and the price was exacted from Him because God didn't want to be master overlord. He wanted to be relational. He wanted to be a God that comes alongside and you're here this morning and you're distant from God. You're far from God and it's painful. Forget about going to heaven and going to heaven or hell. It's like my life is hell right now. I need something to change. It starts by saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. If you're here this morning, you say, Dylan, I don't know Jesus. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you right now that Jesus, the same Jesus that can make me whole is the same God that can make you whole. Ready? One, two, three. If that's you, you just raise your hand. I want to pray for you right where you're at. I need this relationship with Jesus right here, right now. You just shoot your hand up so I can see. Come on. Awesome. 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 Anybody else? Anybody else? Come on, you can put your hands down. We're going to pray for you in just a moment. This is where I... This is church and this is how we're going to get personal. If you're here this morning and no one looking around because God's the one that's going after our heart condition. If you're here this morning and you say, Dylan, this area of offense and unforgiveness, I think it's controlling me more than I'd like to admit. I just even sense maybe you've walked in here and no one even knows the damage that's been done. I do know what Jesus is able to offer, wholeness. That that person can never pay back. He can bind up the brokenhearted that was damaged. That's what I know Jesus can do. And if you're here this morning, you say, Dylan, you're talking to me. This area is something that I need breakthrough in. I need God to intervene. I need something to shift. I don't want to live with this anymore. I don't want to live dictated by somebody else. I don't want to hold on to this. I'm, I'm the one in prison. God, I need, I need help. I need, I need freedom. I need breakthrough. If that's you, already hands are going up. If that's you, I want you to just raise your hand and I want to pray for you. Come on, here we go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, forty, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 
21, 22. The reason why I'm counting hands is because sometimes we think that we're the only ones that deal with this. Church isn't a place to just come and put our face on. Church is a place to get honest with God and say, God, I need to encounter you. Come on, more hands are going up. God, would you break through in my life? More hands are going up. Come on, this is what we're gonna do. Would you stand to your feet, church? We're gonna sing this song. Thank you for listening to another Mana House message. Our hope is that you find fresh bread for your journey each time you join us here. Until next time.